Cyber attackers aren't a priority until your company is number one on their hit list. Vulnerabilities can be ignored until one makes your business the front page news. Secure your business digital future with Salcom Cyber Threat by Telefonica Tech, the complete cybersecurity service with round-the-clock monitoring and detection. Get serious about cybersecurity. Find out how only at Salcom Business. This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Tech Talk, brought to you by Cellcom Business. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. Welcome to Matt Splained. Um, I've seen a few notes uh, for today's show, and, and I've no clue uh, what it's about. Uh, the right to repair, or some conspiracy about buying stuff and uh, spending less time looking at the screen. Matt, why aren't we talking about Facebook and its supercomputer intentions this week? Oh, hey, Rich. Um, we should be talking about it, but, you know, it's the Friday before Chinese New Year, and does anyone really want to hear that? I, I kind of wavered on it and I actually started drafting a big tech themed show to do for today, mm. but it was just too heavy. I will come back to it next week or maybe the week after, uh, and we'll talk about how to frame that conversation of control, you know, what kind of assets uh, to society are the big tech companies and do they genuinely offer a public service? Uh, sounds thrilling, doesn't it? I bet everyone can't wait. Um <laughs> So I, I won't mention the supercomputer story except to say uh, this week's revelation was that Facebook is looking to develop the world's fastest supercomputer, which, you know, that's going to be really great news for everybody. Uh, what really kind of jumped out to me was that the machine that they're currently using is already the fifth fastest supercomputer in the world. Huh. Uh, now... Yeah, and I mean, I was like, "What, really?" Um, but um, it's hoped that the the new machine that they're going to develop will kind of provide the power to fuel the uh, the company's metaverse aims. Obviously, as they rebranded to Meta, mm -hmm. but in the short term, it should help to identify uh, harmful content that is spreading across their platform, which. I do find kind of weird, you know, it's a bit like creating your own fire extinguisher to put out a fire that you started and then lost control of. But, mm. you know, anyway, uh, we're going to keep it light and fluffy. Yeah, th I mean, that intro didn't sound as, as light and fluffy as I had expected. You know, I was expecting maybe unicorns and rainbows and all of that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, I've done monochrome rainbows, but, um, you know, you're <laughs> never likely to get uh, cuddly or approachable with me. Um, you know, I'm more of a duck-billed platypus than teddy bear. I've got Still cute, fur. though, Matt. Still cute. Yeah, but, you know, bit of bite. Um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, seeing as, you know, many of us will be spending uh, a bit of time in malls and other shopping-related areas over the uh, the forthcoming long holiday, you mm -hmm. know, I wanted to talk a little bit about stuff, as in the stuff we buy. And uh, I guess my starting point for this was something I read on uh, Wired uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was a mm. short opinion piece by uh, Paul Ford. He's a, a programmer and a Wired contributor. And he wrote this uh, this piece called A Grand Unified Theory of Buying Stuff. 
And it reminded me that with, uh, you know, most kinds of consumerism, especially when it's related to technology, we've bought into this idea that somehow it's going to give us this simplified, streamlined kind of life. Uh, you know, the, the whole kind of one ring to rule them all philosophy that Apple has been so ruthless mm. in perfection, uh, in perfecting rather. Yet instead of this, you know, sleek, streamlined, futuristic home. I live in a place that seems to be about 80% cables. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, I'm surprised you haven't gone wireless. I mean, I have for the most part, but that's also a part to this story because people say, well, why don't you go wireless? You need more stuff to go wireless. You know, uh -huh. my, my wireless internet is two boxes, both with power and connection cables. Mm -hmm. Then I've got the boosters so that the Wi-Fi is evenly spread through the house. That's another two boxes and cables. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm part of that dying breed that insists on using a desktop. I, I think you are as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, I use wireless keyboards and trackpads, but they need charging cables. Some of them are USB micro, some of them are USB-C. Then there's my webcam, which, you know, I upgraded when the pandemic started because I was having to speak and moderate at virtual conferences. So to add to that, I then had to buy some cheap USB-powered lights to make me look, you know, less hand-to-like on camera, as most <laughs> paying clients refuse to, to use my blued-up glitchy avatar. So everything I buy to upgrade requires something else. Uh, and that's without talking about the equipment that we're recording on right now. Yeah, you know, it's this never-ending cycle. I, I've got a fairly decent mic. I hope that the recording this week shows that I bought myself a new audio interface and voice processor. Mm. Uh, what was wrong with my old audio interface, you ask? Well, I'm just wondering if this new audio interface makes you sound, you know, more uh, masculine. Masculine? Well, that wasn't an answer I was expecting. But anyway, <laughs> glossing over that, um, the answer is nothing was wrong with my old audio interface. That was a clean segue. Uh, it wasn't even old, but, you know, it was conflicting with some of the software or hardware on my computer. Hence the, the rather muddy and apparently feminine sound of these shows for the past few months that have had levels all over the place. No, I don't think there's anything wrong with your voice at all. But you're right. I think for the, for the two of us, uh, depending on where I was recording as well, levels could have been all over the place. And it, it took a little time to produce that to get them onto a level. level. Yeah, level. no. I, yeah, I mean, you get me? I get that. I get that. Yeah. And and nothing I could do would fix it. It, mm -hmm. it wasn't the device because it would work fine on my laptop. But to record the show on my laptop rather than the desktop means I'd have to go and buy some kind of Thunderbolt uh, USB hub. More yeah. money, more boxes, more wires. Yeah. So instead, I bought another audio interface, one that would actually work with my obviously temperamental Mac, and of course, then having the intention of selling off the old one. You haven't sold it, have you? Yeah, you got the intention word there. Um, because, you know, it, it's relatively low value. Most people will want to test it first. So that involves traveling. So that's more cost and time to, to sell it. And for the money I'll get back from it, you know, do I, do I even break even? And I don't think I'm the only person in this situation. Mm. Lots of us, you know, we 
we buy something, even after all the research we do, it still doesn't do what you thought it was going to do. Mm -hmm. So instead, you put it aside and you buy something else that mm. fills that perceived need instead. Now, if there was something wrong with this device, I could return it. I could go and get my money back. But I have a good relationship with the retailer. I mean, obviously, because I keep buying stuff from them. <laughs> um, so in all good conscience, I won't return something to them that works and pretend that it's faulty. We seem to be uh, uh, going down a, a long wormhole right now, Matt. Yeah, I mean, excuse the indulgence, but there is kind of a point to this. It's that everything we buy seems to invite another purchase. Mm. You know, there's nothing new in that, you know, buy a TVR, buy a, a video cassette recorder, a satellite box, a DVD or a DVR, all back in the past, or, or even, you know, the old model of console, you'd buy a game for $50 and you'd complete it in a few days, yeah. teeing you up for the next buy. With a lot of digital products, this additional purchasing seems to be baked into the expectation. True. We've, you know, we talked about going wireless before. Um, my smartphone can charge wirelessly, but only if I buy a wireless charger that meets the specifications and standard of the phone I have. Mm -hmm. And that's yet another object with another cable. Of course, I can use an off-brand or unlicensed one, but if it fries the phone, then the warranty's voided. Mm. Uh, the same with, you know, wireless earphones. I've got the Apple ones for a really simple reason. You're a hopeless fanboy. I am, but um, I, I mean, I like open earphones rather than the, the isolators. And Apple is one of few manufacturers that's still making open earbuds. Everyone else mm -hmm. has gone on the noise isolating and noise cancelling models. Mm -hmm. So the first pair from Apple that I have, I loved, but they come in this really slippery plastic box. And mm. that slippery box slithered itself out of my pocket on an escalator. Uh it bounced on the step, the earbuds popped out, they landed at the bottom bit of the escalator where it disappears into the machinery. Oh, no. So rather than chop my fingers off, I had to kick the earbuds off, of course, destroying them in the process. So when I bought some replacements, this time I bought a protective case to put them in because uh -huh. buying the case is cheaper than having to buy an entire replacement for the device. Yeah, yeah. And I've got protective cases and screen protectors on my iPhone, on my iPad. I've got a case for my laptop, but obviously not a screen protector because that can damage the closing mechanism and... Void your warranty. Exactly. So in the Wired piece, uh, Paul Ford talks about this in terms of object enhancement and experience. You see, there is a serious point here. Uh -huh. uh, he uses the example of the smartphone as the object and an app like Spotify or Apple Music as the enhancement and listening to the music as the experience. But it really isn't that simple. Unless you're that person who listens to their phone or watches videos in, in public on the loudspeaker. And let's face it, yeah, nobody should be that person. That kind of behavior should be a crime coming with 
some kind of jail punishment. And yes, the man <laughs> queuing at the vet's clinic, surrounded by sick and distressed animals, and watching a Japanese game show at full volume on your phone, I am talking to you. Oh. Uh, the, the object part doesn't begin or end with your phone. You need a mobile data or Wi-Fi connection to make the apps, the enhancements work. Mm -hmm. You need more objects, headphones or speakers to enjoy that music or to watch the movie. And each of those additional objects requires its own enhancements, the cases, the cables, the subscriptions, before you finally reach that experience. So um, it's a consumption conspiracy. Well, I don't think it's necessarily designed that way. I mean, I, I, I'm not a conspiracy guy. And you can go minimalist with some things. You know, I used to be a camera nerd. I used to buy lots of lenses. Then I went the, the minimalist route and I got a, a camera with a, a single fixed focus lens. I, I did uh, buy one of those uh, fairly recently, a camera with a, a single fixed focus lens. Yes. Um, <laughs> trying to avoid going down the buying lenses route. Yes. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, it actually helps you with the, the creativity because it yeah. forces you to embrace its limitations. But of course, we're in that kind of minority because no one needs a camera anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, digital technology and convergence technology can help to reduce that kind of clutter of objects, mm -hmm. but it still spawns that culture of ongoing consumption, you know. Don't buy a case for the phone and the phone breaks. Okay, so the case starts off as being a simple piece of insurance, but then it ends up being a fashion or a style statement. Mm -hmm. uh, if you take your laptop to work, you're going to want the bag that protects it, but you also want one that's hopefully going to go with the outfit <laughs> you're wearing. And you know, don't, I feel, don't I feel called out here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, don't don't get me started even on my latest hobby, guitars. You know, oh. I thought. The world of cameras was bad for add-ons and extra costs. My gosh. Uh -huh. uh, I mean, it just never ends. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, rather than a conspiracy, I just wonder if we've taken this idea of bolt-on connected and modular uh, devices a little bit too far. You mean, um, in a sense, we kind of overexpand. Yeah, and uh, I should note that Richard uh, shared a picture of me of his guitar pedal board uh, before uh, this episode today. So he has his own issues here. But um, Paul Ford talks about buying himself a standalone drum machine and rhythm maker thing and discovering that once he spent ages mastering how to use it, because you know, none of these things work in any kind of logical way. Mm -hmm. He finds out he doesn't actually have that much imagination when it comes to creating beats. Uh -huh. And I see it a lot in other areas as well. You know, a lot of my friends have gotten into cycling in quite a hardcore way of the pandemic. And the add-ons and extensions for their bikes, the upgrades and the add-ons, they can run to tens of thousands of ringgit. I mean, you could describe it as some kind of uh, consumption utility gap. Partly, um, but in an interconnected economy, these things have these unintended and unanticipated knock-on effects. Now, there's currently a global shortage of uh, potatoes, and this week I think McDonald's Malaysia restricted the size of fries that customers can buy to go with their meal. What? So we're... Yeah, exactly. So we're in the middle of a, a logistics crunch. And in fact, in Japan, they've even been saying they may air fly 
the potatoes in for fast food fries. You know, they, we we have this logistics crunch because of the the pandemic. We've all been at home. We've bought so mm-hmm. much stuff that mm-hmm. the system is grinding to a halt. You know, ships are stationed outside ports. There aren't the facilities to unload them, so there aren't enough ships to going backwards and forwards uh, to to keep everything flowing. I mean, that's just a part of it. So the, the potato shortage is partly down to these supply issues. Um, there have been weather failures uh, com- combined with reduced planting because mm-hmm. there was a reduction in demand at the beginning of the, the pandemic. And you add on these snarled logistics chains as well. Uh, you know, some of that increase in consumption is understandable because people have changed their behavior patterns. Uh, people have been eating at home rather than eating out because, you know, restaurants have been closed. Yeah. So they've upped their kitchen game. They've upgraded their cookery gadgets and gear. Everyone's bought an air fryer. Uh, that that ratty sofa that was fine when you only spent two hours a night on it before you kind of dragged yourself off to bed. Now it's where you take meetings with your colleagues. So you upgrade it. And mm-hmm. then, of course, there's having to duplicate a lot of that office infrastructure. Uh the stuff that you would have had in your office, chairs, desks, network printers, upgrading your internet connections. And of course, there's the most damaging one of all, the old online shopping before bed. Um, Are we working towards an answer here, by the way? Well, it's interesting because I got thinking about this because it's kind of the flip side of what we were discussing on um, Enterprise Biz Bytes on uh, on Monday, uh, yeah. where we were talking about Tonga and what an internet blackout might mean in a highly digital society. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we go back to Paul Ford's object enhancement experience, with that digital switch off, a lot of the objects are either useless or they operate at a, a reduced utility. A lot of those enhancements are useless and the experience is inaccessible. You know, we all rely on the cloud to store so many things now from music to, to movies to crucial personal and business files. Mm-hmm. How many of us actually have these local backups anymore? Yeah. So after the break, I want to explore some of those issues that we raised in uh, in BizBytes, namely, can we exist offline, and look at these emerging trends and movements for some people who are choosing to either switch off or limit their digital exposure. Excellent. So when we come back, uh, the people who have decided to ditch their smartphones. You're tuned into Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9. Stay tuned to Tech Talk, brought to you by Cellcom Business. Bold, fearless, Malaysians. BFM 89.9, the business station. Tech Talk, brought to you by Cellcom Business. BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back to Matt Splained. Before the break, um, we were looking at the idea that there is uh, some kind of 
unified theory of, of buying stuff. Uh, that buying one device requires you to buy another and on and on in this kind of ongoing chain. And now you want to look at the opposite. Yeah, you know, another one of the, the more overlooked stories of last year was this huge win in the US for advocates of the right to repair. Mm. So anyone who has damaged their phone, their computer, their TV, or any of the other technologically complex devices in their home has probably faced this. I mean, even with your car. Yeah. How do you fix it? Your warranty generally points you to a service operation that's run by the manufacturer. And those repairs can be extremely expensive, sometimes nearly as much as replacing the device with a new one, sometimes actually more than replacing the device with a new yeah. one. Because those operations are essentially free of competition, so they can freely set their own prices. And also because it can genuinely be cheaper in some instances because of the way things are manufactured to give you a new or refurbished device under that warranty scheme rather than to repair it. But, you know, there are third-party repair services. Yeah, but they generally only offer OEM or aftermarket spares rather than the original parts on your device because True. the original manufacturers often refuse to sell those parts to third parties. Mm -hmm. So you end up with screens and batteries and camera lenses that you really have no idea how good they are, where they came mm. from. Uh, some manufacturers, I won't name which one, even use their own brand screws that require specialist tools to open to <laughs> actually stop people tinkering with them at home. Mm -hmm. And they won't issue these uh, construction guides or repair manuals that would help third-party repair services. Now, as a result of the executive order that asked the Federal Trade Commission in the US to draw up rules that would guarantee the rights of consumers to repair their own objects or to take them to uh, a repair shop of their choice. Companies like Microsoft and Apple are starting to make those manuals available and allow those third parties to buy certain parts. Um, is this to increase competition, to reduce waste? What do you think uh, is the motivation behind this? Well, all of those things. I mean, most of us probably remember the neighborhood repair shop where you could take anything from a, a TV to a fridge to a, a washing machine. And a bunch of people would come and stand around you and look at it and frown and tell you it needed a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if, eventually you'd get them to agree to cut the price by about 50%. And actually, it'll be ready in two days, not six weeks. Right. So, you know, a, a lot of the repair shops we have now have a bit more of a cowboy reputation, not necessarily because the, the people who work there, the, the technicians aren't skilled, but because the parts they're forced to use may be of, you know, uncertain or, or variable quality. Mm -hmm. So this change will enable those small repair businesses to expand their services and to access official parts, which is good for local consume, uh, communities. And it's also good for uh, the individual consumers mm -hmm. because Right now, you know, we often have to spend half a day traveling and then waiting in line because there's only one official product repair service in, that, in you know, the particular district we live in. Yeah. Why would it impact the right to repair in other countries? Isn't the system, you know, likely to stay restrictive where there's no compulsion to change? Well, usually when one of the major countries or trading blocks 
enacts uh, the laws that change behavior, they set a precedent and they also lay out a winning legal strategy for advocates and lawmakers to uh, follow elsewhere. Mm. And for companies that act globally, it often makes more sense for them to align their business along common principles and guidelines wherever they can. Mm -hmm. So now it's the norm for international businesses to make sure their websites and online activities adhere to the EU's general data protection rules, especially when they trade across national borders. So we can expect a lot more companies to liberalize their repair policies on the back of this change and to make genuine parts easier to obtain. But is it too late for the vanguard that's ditching their smartphones? Well, we've reported on various trends and movements that are kind of anti-digital or anti-technology over the years um, mm. that people are, are trying to roll back their dependence on digital technology. But we've seen that Gen Z especially is flocking back to physical books. Uh, digital book readers are more a symbol of uh, Gen X and uh, millennials. Mm -hmm. We've seen this explosion in uh, vinyl record sales. Uh, in fact, demand for Adele's most recent album on vinyl was so high that it's created a global supply shortage. I mean, it's occupied all the pressing plants. So thousands of other artists are facing long delays getting their titles pressed. Uh, we've even seen cassette sales increasing over the last few years. And 2021 was the first year that has seen a significant increase in CD sales in, well, you know, decades. Um, do you think any of this is, is pandemic-related? Well, it's hard to say in terms of the, the kind of concrete data, but anecdotally, you could say that people spending more time at home are valuing physical things more. Uh, CDs, of course, aren't great if you're commuting on the train. Cassettes mm. are, but, you know, if you can find a portable player that's still functioning. But at home, you might want to do something more than just queue something up on a digital list. Mm. Even in the US, the DVD by mail rental market is still really strong. Now, that might be buoyed by larger numbers of older consumers who still prefer physical media, who haven't mm -hmm. embraced streaming. But it's also partly to do with the inequality of broadband speeds and penetration. So there are parts of the country where speeds and uh, data costs make streaming a lot less enticing. But a lot of it does seem to come back to that that tactile element, that process mm. of selecting and loading into the machine, looking at the cover and the notes, and seeing that thing that you love occupying space in your life rather than simply as bytes on a server. Uh, would you call yourself a, you know, an, an analog kind of guy? I mean, I'm kind of torn because, you know, I, I can't read print books anymore. I've mentioned that on the show be uh, before. I rely on audiobooks. And apart from in the car, which I rarely am anymore, I don't really play my CDs. Streaming fits around the way I work. Mm -hmm. But I do understand the people who do. You know, I'd love to move to a kind of vinyl setup, stream most of my music and just own the stuff I really love in plastic form. I'd love to be able to read books again. I mean, that used to be my main leisure activity. Uh, I, I enjoy audiobooks, but I love that feel of the page. Mm. And I used to be a lot more disciplined with my phone as well. I think that changed when I couldn't read print anymore because then those electronic devices became my primary means of reading and consuming entertainment. I mean, that was mm -hmm. one of the reasons I started playing guitar, to do something that was more tactile and more analog. 
Got it. Um, so you wouldn't be part of this movement giving up their smartphones then? I'd love to say yes, but, you know, realistically, no. I mean, that's why I mentioned that it, it dovetails with our chat on BizBytes earlier this week. I listen to hours of audiobooks and podcasts every day. I can't get those onto my device without some kind of internet connection. Right. My, yeah. you know, these shows and my work, they have a global focus. So I spend a lot of time looking at international news and information sources. Uh, I've replaced my uh, often expressed uh, reality TV obsession with guitar mm. and effect pedal demo videos, uh, despite the fact I don't own any effects panels. Uh, and uh, I've been, well, yeah, exactly. And that I've actively uh, been reducing the number of guitars I own. And uh, you missed out with that Strat acoustic, by the way. I, I, I did see it. I was tempted. That That's also why I sent you that photograph of the guitars that I already have. And you should go, you don't need another one, Richard. Yes, exactly. You don't need another one, Richard. Uh, the real reason that I brought this up today is that um, a lot of people listening are going to be spending the next few days with family. For mm. some people, you know, it may be the first time in a couple of years that they've managed to celebrate Chinese New Year together physically and we've fallen into these patterns of behavior where we sit down for a meal or a drink together and we spend half the time looking at our phones mm. so the movement of people who are ditching or limiting the use of their devices even replacing them with uh, you know phones that can only do calls and texts they may be at the extreme end of the spectrum but I think we can all learn something from that to put the screen down, to be more present in the moment, because memories aren't just things that you capture with your camera or your video lens. They're things that you build in your interactions with people. And those interactions, they can be digital as well as physical. I mean, obviously, but it's just a reminder that we don't have to let the screen get in the way of those moments and those interactions. So I'd like to wish everyone and feel free to ignore me. Enjoy your reunion dinners the way you want. You see, you did end up all nice and fluffy and cuddly, didn't you? I did, but once we go off, I'll, I'll start spitting the poison at you. <laughs> uh, thanks very much for that, Matt. My pleasure. Of course, uh, you can find Matt on Instagram and Twitter at Culture Matt. You can also head over to culturepop.com for transcripts of these shows and information about Culture Pop and its consulting services. If you missed any part of this show, don't forget you can download the podcast and have a listen back at your leisure. We recommend you use the BFM app. It's available in the Apple App Store and Google Play. I'm Rich Bradbury for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Tech Talk was brought to you by Cellcom Business. Get serious about cybersecurity and secure your business's digital future at business.cellcom.com.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.